everyone, and welcome to the AWS Developers Podcast. Uh, my name is Brooke Jamison. I'm guest co-hosting again alongside Dave Izbitsky. Hi, Dave. Yay. Hello. And today we're joined by Nick Pinsky, who's the principal engineer for AWS EventBridge. Hi, Nick. Um, can you tell hey, me what your current job, how would you explain it to your parents, do you think? <laughs> it's 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 quite difficult actually um, because my uh, uh, you know m- my dad actually is a software engineer so that that, that works oh, out. Wow. in general um, you know wait I hold find... on to that for a sec where was he <laughs> was it AT and T no what my was... dad came to it late in life actually he was a metallurgist uh, in the Soviet Union and then oh my he came, goodness he immigrated to Canada um, he retrained as a software developer and wow. um, yeah. And so then Metallurgy. I went to Actually, mm-hmm. smart. Yeah. Look at, so you'll, you'll like this. That's right. The, the metal ball. This is yeah. an audio medium. So just for people listening, you're right. This is heavier than gold. We're almost as, 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 as heavy it's as mysterious gold. This is now the, uh, the Metallurgy podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Keeping it on the Metallurgy podcast theme, actually, um, during reInvent, I did lots of these little interviews with people from all over the AWS cinematic universe, asking them what their first job in tech was. And I did one with Seth Elliott, who's on my team. Um, he's, I know uh, Seth. Yeah, no, he's fantastic. But do you know, he started in metallurgy as well. No way. Interesting. Yeah. I never discussed that. Okay. Yeah. Well, there's a video all about it on my TikTok, or he can tell you about it, I'm sure. <laughs> Amazing. I should, Amazing. I should probably explain, as I held up the sphere, I didn't say that it's tungsten. Which Nick might know that this is actually tung- um, my, like this my, is heavy. I'm not currently wearing it, but my wedding ring is tungsten, and I'm a big fan yeah. of the, the, the tungsten heaviness. Yeah, it's the, just the, so... the abyss was very uh, formative for my life experiences. I know that if I'm ever stuck on a on a descending uh, <laughs> submarine filled with water, I can stop an escape hatch with my wedding ring. That's uh... yeah, exactly, exactly. Are you planning for that to happen? <laughs> Not planning, but you know, you got to think about it. It's good to have that. Yeah. It's but, like uh, having the Batman belt. <laughs> back, back to your question about how to describe my job. Um, you, you know, it definitely was easier when I was working. I did a stint on the retail side and it was easier to talk about, you know, inventory management and cross borders and European Union, things like that. But um, as a, dev- you know, working on developer tooling, which is, you know, what I think a lot of AWS is ultimately services are all developer tools. Yeah. Um, it's a bit harder because, you know, it's not just about the customers, the customers customers. But I like to think of myself as uh, kind of my job on AWS is to save people time. Um, And, you know, there's a there's this great movie called Margin Call, um, where uh, Stanley Tucci talks about this bridge that he built. It's not, you know, because of just a vent bridge, but then how much time that saves the commuters over the course of a a year, you know, of their lives, like literally years of people's lives. And and I like to think of that everything that we do in the same way that if we can build a service that removes some a few lines of code for uh, people or makes them some process in their life faster or faster to build something or debug something or connect systems, anything, it all adds up. And at AWS scale, when you have hundreds of thousands of developers using it, it literally adds up to years of people's lives that would be, I consider, wasted that we don't have to waste it because they can use stuff we build. And so... That's kind of how I talk about what I do. Uh, <laughs> and as a principal engineer, um, I like to joke that for the first time in my Amazon career, which is I've been here for nine years, it's my actually job description to actually talk to people um, where it never was before. And so part of a lot of what I do is is try to connect teams and try to connect uh, solve problems that uh, that nobody's working on and also prevent other problems from being worked on that are being worked on. And maybe there's a better opportunities for collaboration um, here and there. And certainly, you know, EventBridge plays a big role in that because 
we're kind of kind of sitting at the nexus of hundreds of AWS services that publish events. And so, you know, my job is to sort of know the kinds of things that are happening everywhere in AWS because they might be generating events that come into EventBridge. And also my job is to know then what do people want to do with those events and what do can we build to make it easier for them to do that? That was one of the smoothest segues I have ever seen for them asking <laughs> you. Do you want Thank to baseline you. what EventBridge is all about? Absolutely. Especially EventBridge pipes, I guess, as part of this? Yeah. So we used to say that the, the answer has kind of changed meaningfully in the last uh, year or so. Um, EventBridge used to be, we used to say EventBridge is AWS's serverless event bus. And that's still the case. Like we yeah. still have a serverless event bus and it's and wonderful and we can talk about it. But more and more now, EventBridge is a service of services. We have EventBridge buses. We have uh, the EventBridge scheduler. Uh, we have the EventBridge schema registry, and now we have EventBridge pipes, and they all roughly kind of work together. Now, there's some areas where they should work together a little bit more, and we're going to get there. But they kind of have a kind of an overriding vision of helping developers build event-driven applications uh, with kind of with the right tools for the job. And buses is one of those tools, and pipes is a different one, and they work independently. Right, um, bus an event bus uh, for people that may or may not know is basically a way to have an integration resource where you know many producers and many consumers can deal with the same resource, the same concept. You know, with, you know, with, you know, other situations when it's one to one, it's a queue. When it's one to many, it's a topic. When it's many to many, it's a bus. And uh, it, you know, that's a, a, a resource for both producers and consumers. And uh, pipes is something a little bit differently, different, and it's there for mostly consumers. And I, I think to, to to talk about kind of why we got to pipes, it's it's worth acknowledging kind of the, um, let's say the status quo that it was built in, because um, there's this cliche that. It's, it's always important to start with cliches, I think, because they always have a kernel of important truth, right? That Amazon works backwards, right? That we work backwards on real customer problems, right? And what that means is we end up doing a lot of purpose-built services for specific needs that customers have asked for. And we also have in our DNA that we build very generic infrastructure, right? And, you know, and these concepts may seem intention, but they're actually not. What it really means is that we build generic solutions for very specific problems, and the beauty of this is that everything that we build, we don't build features just in case somebody might use it. We always build every feature or every service for a specific customer that has a specific need. And then beyond that, we try to generalize them such that it enables this amazing um, kind of kind of uh, follow-up action, which is that um, customers use our stuff in ways that we never expected, right? Yeah. And they build things that we never anticipated. And to me, that's honestly one of the most rewarding part of the job is seeing some of the folks in the community, like I don't know, Aiden Steele. You know, this Forest Brazil recently did post this article called "The uh, Crimes Against the Cloud," which I think is like literally like those crimes against the cloud is what motivates me to kind of enable more solutions. And I love the what people do. Yeah, you send me the URL stuff. to that. I'll include I will. that. It sounds super interesting. Just it the is, title. yeah, and 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 that's that stuff is great, right? When we build these generic solutions, people find creative and clever ways to to use them. But the dark side of that is that it it, it causes some difficulties, I think, for, for people. Um, uh, first of all, having a lot of purpose-built services makes it kind of difficult for newcomers to know, you know, what do I even what do I even use here? I have so many options, right? And and what are when when should I use this, that, or the other thing? And then the other thing is that because of that, you know, we're not just because of that, I would say, but 
in general, like the world that we are building in today is very different than the one that, let's say, when SQS was first launched, you know, 15 years ago, right? Or EventBridge, you know, now it's seven years ago, right? Um, more and more developers are not building in Greenfield, right? They're instead connecting pieces that already something is in the cloud, some things are not, and they're connecting pieces. Yeah, it's and, not and 2006. The, yeah, There's a bunch of stuff like, in the cloud. <laughs> a lot of decisions have already been made for them, and the stuff is here, something is here on this in the system, on this queue, yeah. on this, and they're trying to connect them together, right? And the third thing that I think is really important to keep in mind is that there's been the serverless revolution that has kind of taken over um, in the last few years, where the it raised customers' expectations of how little undifferentiated code they have to write, right? That this this point, you know, the the bar is pretty high. And I think it's in this kind of world where we have a customer, you know, developers have a lot of options. A lot of those some choices have been already made for them, and the expectations of how much undifferentiated code I have to write is um, is the expectations are sky high that we kind of thought of pipes. And pipes um, is an event bridge feature. It's separate from the bus. It's a separate endpoint, separate API. And it's a way to connect event-driven systems together without writing code. And a pipe is quite simple. A, a basic pipe is just a source and a target. A source is something that's an existing, uh, you know, um, uh, integration application integration resource like a queue or a Kinesis stream or a Dynamo stream or a Kafka topic, and a target is you know a, a wide variety. We have about fifteen right now. Um, we hope to eventually to have every AWS server as a target, kind of like Step Functions does with their SDK connectors. We'll probably use the same system one day. Yeah, we just had them. We just had them on. Justin, right? Yeah. 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 We love the love with the, what they're doing there, and we're definitely going to use some do something similar. But right now, it's about about a dozen uh, plus event bridge targets. Okay. And so that's what a pipe basically is. It just you can connect the source to target and just have you know the events flow through there. And then on top of that, you can add a couple of things. You can add a filter, okay. so you don't want all the events. You want to, you know you just want some of them. We can set up a pattern with the same syntax that EventBridge buses has to match events on the bus. Same syntax that we use for SNS um, uh, payload filtering. Same syntax for event source mapping. It's an open source library which we call the AWS Event Ruler. Uh, we open source. Oh wait, this acronym year. alert. Acronym alert. <laughs> event Ruler. Uh, it's not actually an acronym. Uh, oh, it's not. It, no, it needs to be. It's the it, it's because it's because it's because the uh, originally it was designed first for EventBridge rules, and so we have this ruler library, oh. and then we open source it after the fact because a lot of AWS uses smart. it. Yeah. And so, yeah, so Pipe can have a source, a filter, a, a target, and you can also drop in an optional enrichment in the middle. Yeah. And an enrichment is kind of like your, you know, it's either it could be your business logic that like has to actually make a database call or transform the event. It could be your escape hatch if just somehow the, the structure of the source doesn't match what the target needs for whatever reason. You know, a, a lot of what we build with EventBridge is trying to meet customers where they are. They are. So we want to make sure that you can connect sources, enrichments, and targets that were not designed to be part of pipes. So they could be it. just an API, for example, that a SaaS API or an API you already have that just, you know, get some data, return some other data, and you can plug that into a pipe without having it be uh, aware of the fact that it's uh, being called from a pipe. Um, and same thing with a target. We believe that, you know, you should be able to connect existing Lambda functions without the, for, and reuse them for different purposes, for example, and you can adapt kind of your stuff with uh, either enrichments or um, optional transformations. And so what that was ultimately all about is then, you know, if, if you start thinking of this world where a pipe exists, that you can connect these systems. Today, we support, you know, a range of sources and a range of targets, not everything. 
But we kind of our kind of our vision is that this can become um, a universal integration resource for AWS. That you know, as we keep uh, iterating and adding more kind of connectors there, we should be able to. Where we want to be is that developers know that whenever they're connecting systems, they can always start with a pipe. That might not be where we are today, and um, we need definitely have some work to make it even more lovable and bring more capabilities from EventBridge buses onto pipes, like archiving and replay and integration with the schema registry and things like that. Right. But that's where we want to get to, is that people always know they can always start with a pipe. And if it doesn't work out for whatever reason and they, you still want to write some, ultimately some uh, some code that to integrate your systems, you know, that that might be necessary, right? Uh, we're certainly not looking to replace, um, uh, you know, uh, other systems that do things like workflows much better, right? If you have a complex state machine, you're still going to have a complex state machine uh, with a pipe, but that might just now be just, you know, maybe the target of your pipe where the source is, let's say, an SQS queue. And that's some of the stuff that pipes now enables is, you know, for example, triggering a state machine run for every message in a queue. Right or a message, oh, nice. message in a Kafka topic, whatever it may be, and um, similarly for other services, let's say running an ECS task, right? If you want to run an ECS task for every uh, message, every every record in a Kinesis stream, you can now do that with a pipe. And kind of the you know the total number of permutations is in the hundreds, and uh, we should add more and more. Yeah, and how is it? How does it handle failures? Is there like dead letter queues, and you're 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 doing all that kind of stuff? Like, where have you seen? As you were building this, some of the things that developers need to be aware of if I'm going to go use pipes today. For what sure. are the gotchas? So the gotchas are, and this is this is where you kind of you know being opinionated about um, a universal integration resource is very dangerous because if you're not careful, you could wind up with the lowest common denominator experience that basically doesn't do what all that it can do. And so we try to be really careful. There's some things that pipes do kind of in a universal way, and we're going to keep adding more things like that, and we're happy with that. But there are some things that are very dependent on the source. And it just so happens, right, that, you know, the sources that pipe supports have different semantics. Some of them, for example, have strict ordering. So if you have a Kinesis stream that brings in its inherent ordering, then the pipe itself will also be ordered. Versus an SQSQ, uh, yeah. it wouldn't be guaranteed ordering because it would just scale and kind of basically do the managed polling for you uh, in, in general. That means that we actually inherit some of the DLQ behavior from the source. So for an SQSQ, you can kind of, you can configure DLQ on that queue uh, and that's kind of what we recommend today. Uh, for a, a, a stream source like uh, Kinesis Stream or DynamoDB Stream, we have a DLQ you can configure on the pipe. And there's got a couple of uh, customization there to basically ensure that you can avoid poison pills. For the MQ and uh, Kafka topics, right now we don't have a DLQ, and that's definitely a problem. And we need to uh, work with uh, 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 to improve that. The the polling component that that kind of gets data into the pipe is uh, essentially a new platform that we built in collaboration with the Lambda team to reuse what they already do for the event source mapping capability. And so the capabilities there are exactly the same. And so we want to really, we kind of see that that capabilities are our kind of version of upstream development. So we don't want to build things just into pipes that would also benefit Lambda customers and for event source mapping. We want to kind of build this in this to this platform. Uh, Can you but, define that for a little bit yeah. too? Like the AW, like the Lambda event source mapping model and and pipes, how they kind of fit together and what you need to be thinking about. Sure. Well, you know, Lambda event source mapping is all about I have some code and I want to run it in response to an event source, right? And it was like kind of existed as this tightly coupled concept inside a function. 
Um, but the uh, you know while Lambda functions are a, a core component of any serverless architecture, and they are um, you know we're, we're huge fans of Lambda. There's also a lot of undifferentiated code out there that just kind of connects pieces together, and that's what Pipes replaces. So if your Lambda function was just you know calling another API or another AWS service, we think that's a good uh, use case to replace with a pipe. At, at that point, this is where the capabilities of polling the sources um, now exist in both as a Lambda event source mapping or a pipe source. Uh, and behind the scenes, it's essentially the same infrastructure that uh, feeds both of those uh, systems. So we're going to aim to try to, you know, within, within reason, whether possible, uh, keep com- comparable feature set of this going forward. Yeah, you talked about uh, people replacing the Lambda function with a pipe. Is there any sort of other trigger or jumping off point? The thing with AWS is there's so many features, which is the best and the most challenging thing about it, because there's always so many different things you can do. What's sort of a sign for developers that they should be looking up the event bridge docs totally, to get started? Yeah. I mean, if, if the, again, the, you know, it, pipes won't replace uh, the vast majority of Lambda functions, because obviously, you know, business logic, you know, that companies build their core value proposition on, you know, will still live in functions. But there's, you know, integrations that are simple, like, you know, we can maybe, let's say, moving data from a Kinesis stream to an SQS queue or from, or, you know, um, you know, triggering certain runs based on a queue that today people have to use a function that instead they could replace with a, a pipe. There's other specific ones. A big one that's a favorite of mine is DLQ processors. Um, when you build uh, with serverless architectures and you have tend to have a lot of queues and Lambda functions and event buses, all those things, you end up accumulating a lot of DLQs. And most of the time they're sitting there empty. And so kind of the typical pattern that customers have is they create an alarm, right, on a queue depth of that. You'd get notified that, oh, something's in the DLQ. And then what? Well, what ends up happening frequently is people have to go look, you know, what's the message in a DLQ and figure out whether it's something that just needs to be put back on the main channel, whatever it may be, that uh, caused it to, you know, cause a problem. It also happens to be that I I find that a, a lot of times the, the the default action for a DLQ is just put it back on the main because it was some transient issue that happened and it's recovered by the time I, on a human scale a human got to look at it the problem has already passed and so there's a lot of I like that as a life philosophy I just ignore <laughs> when problems are there and they take care of themselves you know with with distributed systems and uh, you know complex architectures a, a lot of times that is the case that's sort of the beauty as well with yeah. uh, serverless systems in some ways um, and so I, I you know I, I definitely know that even internally when we build native on serverless architectures uh, there's a lot of undifferentiated ops tooling that gets written to you know process those messages and put them back on the original source and with a pipe you could just build that as as a concept like you can you could build uh, for example you could have a pipe configured on your dlq that's stopped by default because there's no messages i need to pull it and you could have for example you know an alarm that again still looks at the queue depth notifies you and then you can have a pipe for example configured such that it you know you can you can go you know look at your the look at the 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 the, the message in your DLQ and just start the pipe that just puts it back on the original thing and it's just one click to run it and you know um, and then kind of go back to sleep essentially after that uh, to the point that we even have a, a managed uh, IAM policy that we launched with uh, normally services kind of launch with these managed policies for read-only access and admin access and we also launch with an operator access role for pipes because mm-hmm. we feel that there's something like starting and stopping a pipe um, is a different kind of action than just purely read-only that you would want to have operators to have um, you know if they're for situations just like this. Yeah, that makes sense. Probably 
related to that maybe. Are there any hidden or less popular features in EventBridge that you wish more developers knew about, like a secret menu item or something that they don't know what they could be having? Oh man, that's a good question. So I, I think that with both buses and pipes, we have this concept of um, input transformers that are somewhat misunderstood. They're a bit of like our own uh, very basic templating language, but it's a really powerful escape hatch when things don't quite match up in the you know between your systems and you don't really want to write code to transform them. You can do surprisingly powerful things uh, with those, and. Um, with buses, uh, it's a good way to like again shape your payload for you know let's say an API or things like that. With pipes, you can do that too. But we have an additional thing with pipes for input transformers because the uh, data coming in from sources. So like with event buses, everything is JSON, and 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 it's a it's a wonderful cozy place to be where you can rely on everything being JSON. Um, as soon as you get into dealing with SQS sources or Kinesis, it might not be JSON. It might not even be uh, UTF-8 strings. It might be binary data. So we have to base64 encode some of this data, uh, or we have to JSON escape some of this data when it comes to the pipe. And um, uh, a kind of a little-known feature is that both for filtering and for input transformations, you can, if your data actually is JSON, you can pretend that it's not encoded, it's not escaped. You can just use your uh, JSON path as if the data was raw, naked JSON, and we'll just make it all work for you. Um, it's documented, but yeah, I know I'm a developer. I don't read anybody's documentation either. <laughs> so I, I, we love honesty here. <laughs> um, how do you see EventBridge pipes evolving and growing in the future? Is there something you're really excited about that's on the cards? I I don't want to talk about roadmap items, you know, and, and disappoint people if uh, if they uh, if they don't uh, end up showing up. I had to try. Um, <laughs> um, having said that, I think the part that I'm most excited about a deeper integration within EventBridge is our schema registry. You know, we, we, we've had a lot of, you know, really important and big things for people to ship, but the, uh, the schema registry kind of as it stands right now is not as deeply integrated with the rest of our stuff as we'd like. Um, the, the vision there is that, you know, while... You know, certainly dynamic languages and uh, you know loose weekly type languages are very popular. A lot of times, when developers deal with events or data, there's still ultimately some sort of structure to what they're processing before they publish it and when they consume it. It's sort of important, and a lot of AWS services, frankly, all AWS services, pretend that that's not the case, right? You have to just you know take your structured data and then shove it into a string. So you have to marshal it, and then you have to unmarshal it, and you have to write code to maybe transform it. And the reality is that this, there's these implicit brittle contracts that exist between these systems that we just haven't given people enough tooling to uh, make safer. And this is what uh, why we built a schema registry in the first place, is to at least allow the storage of these events and the inference of these events of they're already flowing through. And we have a lot of big ideas of how, how to make those deeper integrated with the rest of EventBridge, where you can literally say, yes, my data is of the schema, so please... Here's a laundry list of things I want you to do to make sure that everything is safely integrated because my data actually has structure. You're going to put a uh, code whisperer out of business. That's where all my code whisperer code is. <laughs> Take this stuff and make it into this. It's like, all right, I'll make an array for you for this and pull from an S3 bucket. So that, that, that's, that's awesome. Our, that's their mission is to get kill all that undifferentiated code and move it to the cloud for you know and, and help people not own that. Every line of code is a liability, David. You have to you have to yeah. review it, you have to patch it, you have to true. test it, deploy it. Especially my code. <laughs> I was about to say the same thing about this. 
I will have all sorts of links in the show notes and everything for people, but uh, where can listeners find more information about Pipes and EventBridge and about you? Where can they find you? Is there anything you wanted to plug? I, you know, I think that if you asked me six months ago, I might have plugged the, my Twitter feed. I have a lot of uh, unfiltered opinions there, that, and some of them are about technology. I, I don't feel uh, super excited about plugging Twitter right now, so I'm not going to do that. But there's a lot of amazing uh, uh, information about EventRidge that our developer advocate group puts out. Um, some of it's on serverless land. Some of it is um, uh, David Boyne has done incredible work with um, kind of open sourcing a bunch of different patterns um, on his own interests. And, and I honestly think that that's some of the best way to discover the, the true power of uh, EventBridge is some of these tools that, that folks like David Boyne or Lars Jacobson has an open source EVB CLI, the EventBridge CLI. And it's a lot of those you know opinionated ideas really um, illustrate. It gets me really excited because the, some of these folks really get what we're going for and they're kind of doing the yes and on top of it. And uh, that gets me really excited. We love code improv. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope to have you back again, or we'll see you again at reInvent. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you.